Well, it looks like I advanced the slide without knowing I did it. Okay. Hooray. All right. Well, let's go ahead, and we are going to get started on, on time. Um, I did. There are no updates. to the. It's the same one I handed out last week. Uh, does anyone need a copy for this week? Um, it's okay. I, I'm... Just so you know, if it doesn't get back here with you, I don't, I don't uh, judge you or nothing. That's completely fine. It's just, I hopefully you looked at it. There's no judgment. <laughs> Tim, would you hand those to people who need them? Who needs them? The ones with the hand, every, pretty much everyone. No, I said there's no judgment. No judgment, Tim. Awesome. going to go ahead and say a prayer while he's handing that out and uh, bless the class and then get started. So let's just go ahead and bow. Father, we thank you for this evening and for uh, the ability to understand even just the, the smallest portions that we're able to understand. Thank you for uh, uh, showing us the, this big picture, the, the, the plan, what, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and to be able to appreciate you uh, even in this little small way. Uh, help us to understand your scriptures. May your spirit speak to us and uh, enlighten us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, we, last week we went back to the sin one, which was two weeks ago, and we talked about how sin is rebellion. If you have rebelled in one thing, you have rebelled in all things. Sin is rebellion against God. It is disobedience. Um, it is it is an act of rebellion, but it creates a a stain or a corruption that grows inside of you. Kind of looking at what uh, James says, where he says that we are all led away um, when we are when our when we are tempted uh, using our desires. It gives birth to uh, it gives birth to sin. Or, or now my head's getting all kind of weird. Um, gives birth to sin, and then sin when it is fully grown, meaning it doesn't just stay one, it, it, it grows inside of you, ultimately it consumes you, destroys you, and so it, there's a stain and a corruption that follows this act, and then we also talked about that there is uh, what we refer to as the curse of sin, which is um, other people can make bad choices that affect my life, uh, you know, I, there are kids that are born addicted to drugs, they didn't do anything for that, but they, they're born addicted to drugs because mom was, so they're born not, um, we, well, they're not, they're born into this, into this curse. We said the original, the um, key words we're looking at are original sin and total depravity, um, uh, which this is a, a Catholic doctrine and this is a Calvinistic doctrine, but we'll talk about that. So the scriptures um, on your sheet, we went through the first one, uh, through Romans 5, 12, in those, we realized, using those scriptures, that God, uh, all things were created good. 
um, that consequences are not reserved for the guilty. So there are, con I mean, if I hit you, you you're paying a part of the consequence of my sin. Uh, you are bearing my sin in you. Um, we then talked about how does, uh, the scripture says that our, the desire of our heart is evil from youth. There is no one, no one is righteous. All have turned aside. No one understands. Uh, we, be, we have become worthless. No one seeks. Um, consequence does get passed down. So we saw where God says, I will, I will uh, visit the iniquity of the father upon, upon the sons for, for four generations, the third, the third and fourth generation, he says. Um, then we read in where the scripture says that all die because of Adam. And so we talked about how the wage of sin is something earned. Is that something that we need to consider? If, if we all die because Adam sinned, then does that mean that we earned the death just simply because? Does that play into are we born innocent or sinful? Um, salvation is a gift only was one of the scriptures that we read. Um, the removal of sin, uh, being sinless, it, that, that on, that's only a gift. Um, Adam's sin brought death and condemnation to the to the sinless, and that's going to be an important thing for us to discuss as we go along. And then the last one that we got to, which was the Romans 5 one, uh, was that Adam's disobedience brought condemnation to all, just as Christ's obedience brought salvation to all. And that was kind of a good place to end because that makes us ask a very simple uh, question, which is, or, or we have we have to, um, it sets the tone for what we're just we're getting new carpet Sunday anyway. It's, it it kind of sets the tone. Um, so if we are if we are born sinful just because because Adam disobeyed, if all are born sinful, we didn't have to do anything wrong. Then by the same token, you don't have to do anything to be saved. Jesus saves all. So if you choose, if we come to the conclusion that um, that we are born sinful because of Adam. That would also mean that every single human being must be saved because of what Jesus did. And we, we, you really have to embrace a universalism. Or you take the other, which is that his, his disobedience brought condemnation, introduced, if you will. So brought can mean two different things, right? Uh, brought means uh, uh, I, I make it happen versus I introduce you. Uh, to it. There's a big difference between my taking you to a party where they're smoking marijuana and uh, introducing you to that uh, act as opposed to smacking you in the face, putting it in your mouth and holding your nose until you take a breath. I have brought it to you in both instances. Um, I have, I have, so, so is this a compulsion? Is it not? That's kind of where we are. Most of these are the scriptures that we looked at from that line up are the ones that are used to support the, um, the doctrine of original sin, the belief that because Adam sinned, every person from conception is guilty of his sin. So um, the, the doctrine of original sin would say sin is an act of rebellion, but you do not have to commit the act to receive, you, you are born stained and cursed. Whereas those who would say that we are born innocent would say that, we, yeah, sin is rebellion, 
uh, we, are, we are born under the curse, meaning other people's sin harms me. I, I live in a broken world because of Adam. Thank you, dude. Uh, but we are not stained. The stain comes from the act. So that the other side would say is that we are born innocent. All right. So, um, Tim, you still got sheets? Are you dead serious? You found yours? I think they need one over there at the table. He he did? That's okay. That's all right. I don't think the baby needs one yet. All right, so let's go. Um, I did have, um, uh, Joy did bring up a passage that we want to look at. Um, and so turn to Romans 9. This was one that she asked that we add into the study, and so we want to do that. We're going to go to Romans 9. while my phone searches it up. Really? Now the internet in here breaks. That's just... There it is. <laughs> That's, that is not um, uh, accurate. Okay. So, um, it, it tells the story of how um, Isaac... And Rebecca conceived uh, children, and there were two twins that were in the womb. And if you go down uh, to verse 11, it says that though, this is Jacob and Esau, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad. So uh, we'll put this up there as we go along. Um, So... We see that you can be born without sinful action. We'll throw that one up there because he specifically says that as they're being, they have done nothing wrong, uh, but in order that God's purpose of election, which is the next class, so we'll come back to that one, might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who is called. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? And then that's going to go into the next class. Determinism versus indeterminism, and you'll understand what that is later. So, um, what we see in this passage is that, um, well, what would you say other than they didn't. They were born without sinful action. Is there, what else can we um, get from this passage? It might need to go up on the board. Jeff.
Well, and it really doesn't even say that. It, I mean, it kind of says that they weren't good or bad. They were just there, and God said, one I'm doing this with, and one I'm doing something else with. So what would you have me put up there for that? Or is there anything? You're just putting that. 9-11, uh, 9-11 to 13. It's, it's one that we added. Joy um, added it to our, our list. And that's the thing. You guys can always add to the list because this is a new class in flux. Well, even if it wasn't, it still adds to it. That's fine. So Jacob and Esau, neither one of them had done right or wrong. So what we, in looking at the born, born innocent or sinful, we're looking and saying, well, they, they've not done anything wrong. There, there's, it seems, in essence, that God has chosen one over the other despite the fact that there is no guilt. That's what, it, if I were to um, say that a little more succinct. Go ahead. Go that way. Let's go. Well, we have okay, so we have to kind of go and understand what love and that's a whole different discussion but uh, no 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 because that listen that is it's always a good reminder in my mind to remind ourselves that good and evil is defined very simply one way good is doing what God wants good is God getting what he wants bad is doing the opposite Bad is disobedience. Bad is not doing what he wants. By definition, and this is, this is, I'm telling you, this is the hardest thing for us as Christians to actually wrap our head around. But we, to really understand our place, we, we have to begin here. If God willed that in order to demonstrate his presence and power to you, a pillar of fire came down and consumed me. I say this all the time. I've said this more than once. If a pillar of fire came down and consumed me and I died screaming in agony, was that good or was that evil? You have to call it good. It's the only way you'll understand the Bible. Because God will tell one, he'll tell his nation, I want you to go into this people and I want you to leave the women and children and the livestock alive and take them captive. But you're going to go into this nation and I want the women and the children and I want everybody rounded up and I want them all summarily executed. And if you have good and evil as something that God, if we define good and evil as something other than what God wills, then you have a real big problem in reconciling the scriptures. Wait a minute, I thought he said do not kill. He said, do, exactly. Only The Bible only makes sense when you first realize that good is what he wants and evil is what he does not want. And laying it that way. Okay? So that's it. So, I mean, he looks and he says, um, so love is he has goodwill 
towards one. And basically, uh, hate is ill will. And he did. He had ill will towards Esau and the, and the descendants. He knew what they were going to do. He knew they were going to be a, a thorn in the side of the Israelites. That's the way it was. Esau was called a wild donkey of a man. And he was redheaded, by the way, Jenny. Just throwing that out there for anyone that's curious. <clears throat> okay. So, let's go to the next ones. You've got your, you've got your sheet there. We're going to go, and we're going to go to the Psalm 32, chapter 32, verse 2. Okay. Would someone read that out loud? I, I like having you guys read it, so I'm not talking all the time. All right. So, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. What, what does that tell us? Jennifer says, there are people that God says do not have stain. My, my not writing it down does not mean that I'm disagreeing with her, by the way. I realize sometimes the subtle actions, like someone says something, I write it right down. And then someone does, like, oh, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, you know. No, no, I'm not saying that she's wrong. I'm just, I, I want you to think about it. start there. I'm not, I'm not throwing what you said away yet. No, I'm not, I'm not throwing it away yet. Let's say, let, let's pause for a moment. Let's say, because um, a lot of Psalms we know can be allegorical which, uh, again, uh, means it's poetry, it is uh, teaching truths. Um, and there are some who would take this and, and talk about our forgiveness. You know, it is talking about our forgiveness, but it would seem to indicate that there is a blessing that exists for any, like uh, Tim kind of said, for any man or woman, any person who in whom there is no iniquity uh, and there is no deceit. There are a lot that would, many people would look at that and say, that's probably speaking of our fallibility, but kind of prophesying Jesus. The blessed one is the one 
who is um, uh, well, who who has no iniquity and and such. I guess my question is, combining what uh, uh, Tim and Jennifer said, it may not be saying that there is a man or woman that is sinless. Is it those saying? that there's the capacity for it? Is it possible that there could be a person? I mean, I mean, I, I, and the reason I ask that is because I, I ask it this way, and it's, it's important, trust me, with all this. Uh, nowhere in the scriptures do, do I read, blessed is the man who flaps his wings and flies. It's not in there. And I know it's not in there because I there's not a human being that can flap their wings and, and fly. Um, nowhere in the scriptures does it say, blessed is the man who catches the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow, because it, it, it isn't possible. Would the scriptures give us a blessing for something that doesn't exist? Or does the simple fact that there is a blessing for a sinless man means that it's at least possible? That's true. That's a fair point. <coughs> That's a fair point. <coughs> okay. Catch that? In essence, what you have is you have the fact that because we have done something that has stained us, of which we need cleared, in recognizing this issue, confessing that issue, we can have that stain removed, which then also includes its power, which would seem to indicate that it is uh, referring to sin being um, an act. All right, let's keep going. Genesis 6, 6, 9. (coughs) I'm sorry, I'm coughing. I stuck some Mountain Dew down the wrong pipe. All right, so what does this say? And what does it mean?
So Noah was righteous and blameless in his generation. Now, interestingly enough, we know he gets off the boat and he gets drunk. And so pretty much, we know that something is, well, he's not unique in this. There are a couple of places where people are referred to. Job is one of them. When Satan comes in, I didn't have it in here, I probably should have. Uh, uh, when Satan walks into the throne room of God and and God says, where have you been? I've been here and there, wandering around the earth. And he says, have you considered have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless. He's without accusation. You, don't, you have nothing to lob against him. So, let's just, we don't think we have to overthink it. What would this passage seem to say? The reason that that would probably be significant um, is, like I said, blameless and sinless may not be the may not even be the same thing. Plus, if you have one sin in your life, you are a sinner. Okay. Um, so, are we looking here at a situation where Noah has not sinned against the Lord, but we know that after he gets off the boat, after being with his family on that little boat and all them animals for almost a year, he gets off. First thing he does is he plants a vineyard and gets drunk. Uh, first thing he does. I mean, that's the, where his head's at. Uh, you know, not a good thing. Uh, or is this connecting it with the one above it? Is are we just talking about that? Um, uh, he was a he was a, a good man, and, and God is he's righteous in the eyes of God, and God cleanses him like David is called righteous. Although we know he was he was sinful, he was a man after God's own heart, even though he had made mistakes. Let's go to Romans 1, 18 to 21, the next one. All right, so what do we learn in this passage? There's some good nuggets in there. What do we learn about mankind, sin? What might apply to are we born innocent or are we born sinful? Um, I'm going to run out of room. That's okay. We can know God. I mean, it's around us. We're without excuse, he says. 
Look at the last line. It says two things that I think are... Absolutely. So um, we all have this sense. So one of the things it's saying is that we have this sense in us. Every single person has a, I, I, I don't, atheist, it doesn't matter. We have a sense that there's something bigger that we are a part of and we want to understand. We want to know what it is. We want to know what our place is. Where did we come from? Those, they, those, are, those, are, the, those are things that we uniquely ask as human beings because it has been uh, placed within us. And so he is saying, look, the, the simple fact that we look for it is the evidence that there's, that there's something in there. We sense it. We, we have an internal. No one sits around. Uh, uh, we don't just act like animals without asking those questions. We ask those questions because we feel it. We feel a, we feel a draw to it. But we feel that draw to it. But what, what does he say happens? So we, we feel that draw to it, and then two things happen. You mentioned one. When we disobey, two things happen. What does it mean to become futile in your thinking? It means to become futile would mean or imply that there was a time when you weren't. That there was a time when your thinking wasn't futile. That's why Jesus, I mean, if you think about it, when he looks at little kids, he says, these are the kingdom. Because they're pure in thinking. They, they close the little one's ears. They believe in Santa. You know, they, 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 it's all possible. It's only when we get older and jaded. Um, the other one was, so uh, we become futile and, and then our, um, our hearts darken. Again, darken implies what? They once weren't darkened. So he's not, even though it's a plural, he's talking about they, he's talking about them. He's, he's talking about us and our experience as humans, but it's a very individual experience. It's not that, it, it is that, in, in a sense, that each and every one of us, we come to this place, we know God, we experience him, we we. We know that there's something there, but instead of drawing closer to it, we, we find the reasons to turn away. We find the re- whatever it is, and we darken our mind. We, we, we become futile in our thinking. We darken our minds, and we fade away, if you will. Anything else in there that we would want to mention? How about Matthew sixteen twenty seven? Okay, so what you get at the end is based on what? 
you reap what you sow. Another phrase that Jesus would use, you reap what you sow. Uh, Jesus says, when I come back, I'm repaying you based on you. Okay? Um, So, again, um, here we see that guilt is based on actions. If I sin, I will be punished for it. If I disobey, if I rebel, if someone else rebels, that's not on me. Unless I didn't do something I was supposed to do, which is kind of what he said to his prophets. If I give you a word and you're supposed to go tell someone, if you do it and they don't listen, it's on them. But if you don't do it, if you disobey me, then it's on you. So, again, it's, it's wherever the disobedience is. But it's the act, right? So the guilt... It, the, the, the punishment is based on acts. Okay. Deuteronomy 24.16. Now this seems, how do we reconcile this? And I'm, I'm going to ask you because this is, a, to me, this is one of those where you sit back and you go, didn't, didn't we just read last week God say the exact opposite of this? I will revisit the iniquity of the father upon the children for down to the third and the fourth generation. But here in Deuteronomy, it says uh, a man will not be put to death for what his children do, and the child will not be put to death for what the father does. Basically, reiterating what Jesus said, each person is going to be held accountable for what they do. Well, that would be the question then. So is, is one of them saying that the curse, God, carry, God carries the consequences of sin upon... I mean, if, if, if I have a... I inherit a bunch of money and I just squander it all, and then, I mean, I've ruined, I've ruined it for my kids, right? I've squandered our family inheritance. It's all gone. My kids have nothing. They live with those consequences for generations. That's something that impacts the family for a long time. But, the, but, but they're not guilty of being lecherous and prodigal, which, by the way, prodigal means wasteful with money, not lost. Yes, because there, there, is, there is the sense that, uh, and we'll, we'll get to that um, next week. We'll come back to that. He's, he mentioned a, a phrase, age of accountability. Uh, in Judaism, Islam, and in early Christianity, there was, there's always been this sense that, um, until, that, that there is a, a point at which a, a child becomes aware of what good and evil is, and at that point they become responsible for their decisions. Up until then, it's up to the, it's up to the father to train. And that's where you get bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs uh, at 13 is where they had the big celebrations where the kids basically take upon themselves their, their sin and their consequences. So this, this passage, what would we, is there, what, what, what would we write down? Um, 
I, I mean, it, it, it's, it, yeah, it is, except maybe we put the words, it, it's on your own actions. The, the Father will not be. Now, one of the reasons why this is important, and this will come back. I, I, I want let's key in on this one. Um, I, I will often have, like with my cousin Aaron, we'll, we'll have this nice discussion or some, anyone else, and they'll say, well, but yeah, it, God made all of the evil in the world. No, and I'll say, no, no, he did not. And they will say, well, yes, he did, because they knew we would sin. And inevitably, anyone, almost everyone who says this have had children themselves or plan on having children. And my answer to them is always, um, I, you know, are you going to have kids? Do you have kids? Yes. Did you believe before you had kids that your kid would be perfect and without any mistake? Well, no, I, I knew they were going to mess up. Of course you knew they were going to mess up, right? Uh, does that, are, are you accountable for every decision they make because you chose to give birth to them? And then they'll all go, no. And then I'll say, well, wait a minute. Then how is God guilty because he created the potential for sin in me? When I give birth to children, I, I, I am sorry, ladies. When I watch my wife give birth to children, full well knowing that they are not, I am bringing terrors into the world. I, I just am. We all know that. They're just cute. So we bring them into the world. That doesn't make me guilty of their mistakes. That's going to be an important thing. It doesn't go to him. The other side doesn't come down. Just because he's our father, that doesn't make us righteous. His righteousness is not imparted just because he's our creator, and our sin is not imparted to him just because he's our creator. He's righteous because that's who he is. We are sinners because of what we've done. All right. Uh, oh, Ezekiel, let's do that one. Go. Okay, now we just read last week, Exodus, I mean, later on, this is Exodus 18, we read at Exodus 46 last week, that where God says, I'm going to, it's the same words, I'm going to visit the iniquity for the, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, you're, you're right, you're right, much later, yes, I said that wrong. So how, how are these not in contradiction? Because that's always important, how are these not in contradiction? We've kind of hinted at it, but. The key word would be the righteousness and the wickedness. Remember when we used the word net, when the, word, when the letters ness is at the end of something? It's not an action, it's a state. Okay? So when you're doing that, you're talking about the stain or corruption. The righteous is righteous because he is. The wicked are wicked because they're, they're stained. They are wicked. So one passage is talking about where God is saying, I will visit the, I will visit the curse, the one that was in Exodus. I will, visit, I will visit the consequences down through the generations, and 
But here in Ezekiel, it's talking about the stain. I'm, I'm not going to hold someone guilty for the actions of, of someone else. Any other comments, thoughts? I'm, I'm trying to get through because I, I, don't, I don't know. An hour is not enough, guys. All right, next scriptures. Let's go to the next ones. Um, Deuteronomy 1, 34 to 30, 39. These are the other relevant scriptures. Yeah, you picked a big one. That's good. So here they're, they're going in. They've sent the spies in. The spies have come back. Oh, man, the people in Jericho are these huge giants. There's no way we can beat them except two guys, Joshua and Caleb. They come back and go, nah, we got God. We got this. And God gets, mm-mm, he's not happy. And so he punishes them. And he says, you know what? None of y'all are going in there. Well, except. And what were the exceptions? Caleb and Joshua, why do they get to go in? Because they had faith. They believed God. They did not disobey. And who else gets to go in? The children. And, and, and which children? The ones who were too young to understand the difference between good and evil. So would that seem to indicate that the children carry the guilt of the parents, or does it seem to indicate that they do not? That's a good one. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of put that up there, kind of. I'm going to put that up here. Um, the congruent sign. <laughs> okay, children are like Adam and Eve before the fall, before knowing good and evil, and because of such, it seems to indicate they are innocent. Next one, Isaiah 7, 14 to 15. Who is this talking about? Talking about Jesus. But it indicates that even in Jesus, there's a line. There's a time in Jesus' life when he does not know good from evil. And there becomes a time when he, when he does. To be honest, understanding that 
Then all of a sudden, when Jesus is 12 years old and he's in the temple teaching, that's why that was a shock. He had not been through his bar mitzvah yet. He was not yet 13. He was not responsible for his own decisions yet. He was not supposed to understand good from evil. That's why at 12, it was a marvel. And they're sitting there going, whoa, there's something with this kid. thought it was kind of neat. Uh, Hebrews, go ahead. No, no, no. That's the, well. That's kind of the point. Is that is that it wasn't? But that's just kind of when they, that's when they celebrated it. That's when they kind of recognized it. That was the line, and that carried over into uh, Catholicism, where uh, you would go through, um, you would go through a, a catechism, and then once you were, it was it was at, at the same age. Then you took on and the accountability for your own sin. That's a whole other thing. Hebrews four fourteen to fifteen. So what does this say about Jesus? He was sinless, but he was tempted just like us, but he did not sin. That's good. Next one. What is, uh, next one is Hebrews two seventeen to eighteen. We'll get to this one, then we can discuss this. All right. So we we did this one a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago. We used this one. What's the key here? Suffered when tempted, which is important because why? It was it was it was beyond it, it was more than just possible. He he actually there was a part of him that wanted to there is no suffering without desire. If I don't want chocolate, if I don't like chocolate cake, and you look at me and you go, well, you can't have any chocolate cake. I don't care. There's no suffering there. I don't like it anyway. But if I love chocolate cake and everyone else is getting it, and you look at me and, and you say, you know what? You said a bad word, Nathan. You don't get any chocolate cake. That bothers me. I don't like that. That hurts. Suffering only happens when you have desire. Which means, no, he did not. No, and in the garden, he specifically said, God, I don't want to do this. So we see that Jesus had desires that were I'm trying to be really careful here. He had rebellious desires and never, the difference is, he never acted on them. But he had the same desires that we have, the same thoughts, 
had to in order to be a temptation, which gets us to the beginning of that passage, which is he was made like us in every respect. If we take this, that he suffered when tempted, he had the same desires that we did, he was made like us in every respect, but did not sin. If he's like us in every way, but did not sin, that means when we are, when every human being is born, what is true? The capacity to not sin has to be there. I know way too many people that get really upset when I say that. But it has to be there. The capacity, um, when we are born, the capacity to do right is there. But all it takes is one mistake. And we become stained, corrupt. And we begin down that, that path. And there is only one that has ever been able to do it. Well, that, and that's and that's and that is a that's a very fair, very fair question. It, it, ab- it, when when they don't understand, no, no, not 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 the age. That's why there's the phrase "the age of accountability" that gets used. Well. Uh, l- l- No, I'm not saying it's 13. It's, there's a point that God knows that we do not. He knows when the light came on, comes on. I don't know when the light comes on. That's why, that's why when I have someone who's six years old who comes to me and says, I want to be baptized, and I go, why? And they tell me, because I have made mistakes, and I want those gone, and I want to live with Jesus. Oh, hey, you know what? Let's go, let's go turn the faucet on. We're ready. But if, but if a kid looks and says, and says, I don't know, because I want to take the juice. Okay, well, you don't know what you're doing. It's not a thing at that point. It's, it's not a thing. Um, He was not made. He was not made of the will will of the Father. Yep. I love it. Okay. Ah, if it's passed down. So let's 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 pause for just a moment. Let, let let's take what you're saying. So that's one of the main arguments. Then, and it's so great that we paused. Okay. So one of the main arguments would be, okay, but Jesus was not born. He did not have an earthly father, as. Um, the rest of us did. And as we all know, the argument says that sin is passed down through the Father, 
correct? That's the way we think. And so Jesus had to be born uh, without an earthly father so that he would be a virgin, so, uh, of a virgin, so that he would be uh, sinless. Okay. Um, and that's, and that's, uh, that's one of the, the uh, arguments. But the last two passages are going to actually address that. So when we go, you guys have Galatians 3, right? Galatians 3. Why then the law? The law was added because of sin. So listen. The law is added because of sin. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. That's talking about Jesus. The, the, the promise, that's going to be a, we're going to come back to that with some other stuff. All of the promises in the Bible are for Jesus and nobody else. That's going to change a lot of things too. Like, you see the promise that he made to Abraham? Scripture is very clear. That promise was made to Abraham and his offspring, singular. Jesus. All the promises are for Jesus. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, Until that offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So the law exists because of sin. It is a reaction to sin. The stain that is on mankind now, because now we understand good and evil, we are now under the burden of the law, which, which uh, Paul actually calls the curse. He, he says that the, the law is, is a curse. It, it, it's, it's the weight of everything. Then you go to Galatians 4, the next chapter, um, 4 to 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of under the law. Now, hold on. Why is, why is that important? He's under the burden, the exact same burden that we are born under. And it's not because he was born, he, it's not because of a father, it came through his mother. And there's actually other passages. I, I don't know why it isn't in here. I'm gonna, I can't believe I don't have it. Um, Oh, 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 yeah, 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 there is, yeah, there is, hold on. Uh, anyway, so he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So he came under the same thing that we are. He had to be under the full weight of sin and be sinless. Now, if you go, last one, I, I, why, did I, why don't I have it here? Go to Psalm 51.5 please, for just a, a, a moment. Oh, it's at the very top of your, um, oh, it's, it's uh, the very top of your passage. Okay. If you take the fact, that is the number one passage that says sin is passed down from parents to children. That's the one that's used. The problem is, who does the sin come through in that passage? If you take it that way, it comes to the mother. The scriptures say both. It comes to that that um, that the consequences come to the father. But if you take that to if you take that to be a passage of original sin, then the sin comes through the mother.
Right. The scriptures do not, and I've, I've looked because I've tried to understand, even when doing this, I went back and did it again. The scriptures There's only one reason that he was born not to an earthly father that is given in Scripture. That we have lots of ideas. The only reason is is so that he it could not be said he was born of the will of a man. That's that's the only reason. Um, meaning that he existed because some man decided to have sex with a woman and he just happened to be there. If we take that to mean it, it would mean that God did it through a virgin to demonstrate this is mine. Now we get into the we get into the discussion of where you know does how does sin get passed down and and then a lot of people take it to mean that it only comes through the father but if we take all of this that's a lot of junk. And I mean junk in a good way, like like candy junk. How 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 do we how do we pull all of this together? Because obviously I'm I, the world is broken. The cards are I, I don't I don't face the same situation that Adam and Eve faced, right? They had one choice, one bad choice they could make. Oh my goodness, I wish. I say I wish, but inevitably I wonder if I wouldn't still do the exact same. Well, actually, I would do the exact same thing. We all, we don't have to, but we, but we could. So how, how, when we are born, how are we affected by sin? That's, that's ultimately the question. Are we born free from any, from anything having to do with sin? Are we born under the complete, absolute weight and guilt of the sin of those who came before? What is it? If we take all of these together, We are born with our with our will, yeah. Our our, um, and that's why we did will before this class. We, he gave us this room in which we got to make choices. Some that were in line with him, some that some that weren't. Right, and that's that's ultimately it. So when a baby is born.
Well, I mean, if, if we, I mean, if you take the promised land right there, which is in, uh, which we read right there in man, Joshua, which one was it? Deuteronomy, where uh, not only, not only did the obedient get to go in, but the children who didn't know right from wrong, they got to go to the promised land. If, if you apply that principle of God, then he would look at children as the same way as innocent. Um, it's also one of the reasons why, if you ask most uh, ministers, even even if they believe in original sin, they'll tell you that uh, mentally challenged people are going to heaven. Does anyone does anyone think that someone who who can't even process reality from the moment they're born is going to hell just because their genes were bad? You know. So what we end up with, and and, and this is, and, and I'm going to, I'm well. We'll revisit this uh, next week, but in essence, oh, let me hand out, you want to hand out the next sheet, Tim? No, you don't want to. All right, that's fine. This is, this is, this is next week's sheet, so look these over for next week, the next topic. But in looking at it, if I were to summarize it, and feel free to challenge it, the sin of Adam broke the world, and sin is everywhere in it. It's all over the place. It's, it's in, it's, it is, it has tainted it has tainted and corrupted my parents, my family, the house that I'm born into, the hospital, the doctor. It has touched and infected. It's infected everything. But I am born clean. But in this world, I'd look at it like a bubble that's going through the water. A bubble can't lose part of its air. The moment the bubble lets any of the water in, what happens? It pops. It's gone. Poof. The moment we, we may be pure, but the moment we sin, we're gone. And we are now a part of, we are now stained and infected like everything else. So we are born into the curse of sin, which Adam and Eve were not born into. We are born into the curse. We are surrounded by it. They were not. It is after us. For them, it was not. It is, it is almost every choice we face. Every choice we face is right and wrong. Adam and Eve didn't have to face that. It's an uphill, near impossible battle. But we are born without stain. When we know right from wrong is Adam and Eve. Well, not even that. Once we know right from wrong, we become accountable. And the first time we rebel against God, we become then we become stained and we become rebellious. So it's this interesting thing where we're not born quite like Adam and Eve were because the situation into which we are born is very, very, very different. Impossible odds, if you will. But we would have to be, in my, in my mind, in looking at all this, to balance it all out, you, it, we're under the consequences, but we carry our own, we're, we stain ourselves. Sin gets into my life because I bring it in. 
which is why, one of the reasons why, what does Paul say? Uh, he talks to the Corinthians and kind of gets on to them a little bit or asks them, why are you being baptized for other people? Why does that bother him? Well, you can't be forgiven for the sins of someone else. If you can't be forgiven for the sins of someone else, wouldn't it also seem to imply that you can't be guilty of the sins of, of someone else? Don, that, that is true. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Eighty percent of the way that I conclude with this, I'd say, when I say eighty, probably more like sixty-five, seventy percent of Christians do not believe that. They believe that they are born guilty. That began in the 4th century. Because of that, purgatory began, infant baptism began. Um, the separation of priests from the people, the, the, the elders became priests instead of, instead of elders. Uh, the ministers became deacons. I mean, it, it, it became this weird, it became this, it, this doctrine of original sin changed, it changed the church to what it was. The funny thing is, like I said, most people believe in original sin. But at the same time, they really don't. It's very, very weird. Anyway, this is going to infect everything. This is important to remember because without this, the sacrifice of Jesus, it doesn't really make logical sense. But we'll get, we'll get, to, we'll get to all of that. We're building... We're building. We're building so that we all understand. You're, you're going to be able to see how it all came about. Jesus just couldn't appear as a, as a grown man and just die on a cross for us. He had to be born. He had to be born. He had to be exactly like us. He had to suffer as we do. He had to be like us in every way so that his sinless life, dying, the penalty of sin, that's what reverses everything. That was unjust. It's kind of, I don't know, I get excited. I don't know, I hope you care. I don't know. I think it's fascinating. So next week, we will go into, um, this is going to be important. This sets up the next, which is, and don't let the big words confuse you or, 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 or get you overwhelmed. It's uh, determinism or indeterminism. This is bigger than Christianity. Basically, is your life already written for you and you're just going through the motions and you do what has been laid out? Uh, or is it open-ended? Is it indeterminate? And so um, the Bible talks about predetermination. It talks about election. It talks about um, the chosen. And so how, how, does, how does all of that play out? Questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, frustrations, rages, I don't know. Well, as always, you can email me, call the church, tell me what you think, whatever. Um, all right. I will see you guys next week. All right, go get your kids because I, I bet the teachers are waiting.